I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back, relax, and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. And you're very welcome to episode 141 of the Irish Photography Podcast. My name is Darren, I'm your host this evening, and I'm joined by somebody who I've wanted to have a chat with for a very, very long time. I finally managed to get him to sit down now as well, and I'm really looking forward to hearing his incredible photography journey. David Griffith, how are you getting on, my friend? Welcome Uh, to the Irish Photography Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Darren. Thank you so much for inviting me on. No, you're very, very welcome. And like I say, I have been dying to have this conversation for a long period of time. But I said I'd give us some time, let more stories build up over time. And I think I'm going to be interested to hear a number of your ones as well, because over the last couple of years, I think your photography journey has fascinated me looking in at it. I'm sure it's fascinated you as well, living it, I hope anyway, has it? Oh, certainly has. Yes, it certainly has. Um, I didn't really set out to be where I am today with photography. It's it's mm. all been a bit by accident, but I'll probably elaborate on that as we go along. I'm sure we'll get into the nitty gritty and the meat and the bones and such like that on it. But I suppose even before we start all this, who is David? Let our audience know, who are you? Uh, I, I'm an absolute imposter. <laughs> I've got no, <laughs> business <us> be, <laughs> no business being on this uh, illustrious podcast. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm uh, I, I'm an old bloke, uh, sort of Welsh born and bred, lived in Wales pretty much all of my life, uh, although wasn't actually born here, but don't tell anyone. Okay. And um, I've lived in mid Wales, West Wales, South Wales. And uh, in the end, I decided I would move up to my favourite part of Wales because I was spending time travelling here. So I thought I might as well just live here. Um, mm-hmm. So I live on the island of Anglesey. Uh, my wife is from Jersey, so it sort of is a compromise because she likes island life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm only 20 minutes from the main peaks in Snowdonia, which is where I do most of my photography. Mm, interesting. And I know we're going to get into a lot of details on that because, you know, you have got some beautiful areas right at your doorstep. And that you can get out and go taking photographs. Well, generally, at a moment's notice, we can go back out now again. It seems things going back to normal. But, you know... When you kind of think back, and as you say, you didn't think that your photography would evolve to where it is right now. How did you get started in photography? Did you start in the film days? Uh, I certainly did, yes. I grew up in mid Wales uh, in a, a tiny little market town called Llandrindod Wells. Okay. And we were about 10, 15 miles away from the Ellen Valley Reservoir System in mid Wales. It's, it's a mecca for landscape photographers. As a young boy with my friends scuttling around there on our bikes during half term and that sort of thing, you'd see all sorts of interesting things. And I just wanted to be able to make a record of the things that I saw. So I badgered my parents and said, I I want a camera for Christmas. Uh, And they got me one. uh, And I can't tell you how disappointed I was because the Kodak Instamatic really wasn't wasn't exactly what you were looking for (laughs) not quite no um so yeah uh i i i acted like i was really grateful and i tried to use it but it was rubbish but only a couple of years after that i started my first job and i lived on baked beans for the first six months so that i could afford a decent camera body 
and I oh. bought a Rolly Flex with a 50 mil f1.8 lens wow and used that just that one lens i couldn't afford to buy any more glass so that lasted me about five years and i moved down to pembrokeshire and then across to cardiff so my patch was the south wales coast and up to the brecon beacons and down through nice. waterfall country nice and when you say there for example you know going out with the camera did you like there was no internet for you to learn how to use the camera. So no. you must have gone through a hell of a lot of film to finally figure out what all these dials and buttons did, did you? I, I did, yes. I was fortunate because I was a member of the photography club in school when you we were in the sixth form. You could join these sort of societies. So okay. I could borrow equipment and the chemistry teacher set up a dark room. And uh, so that was quite useful. Uh, but when I was out on my own, I was shooting 35 mil transparencies. So mm -hmm. I wasn't printing. I was just developing transparencies. So I could do those in my CD bedsit. And uh, but I, I was involuntarily parsimonious in those days. I had no choice. <laughs> well, you know, you, you, you say it there about, you know, developing at home. My my brother um, was into film, into film photography when I was growing up, and he developed the film in this, the same room that I shared with him. But he was always ever so careful not to put any of the solutions down on anything that belonged to him, but everything that belonged to me was bleached. <laughs> my 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 blankets on the bed were bleached. Everything from him doing his um, exposing or, or developing, sorry, of the images. But it was something that always fascinated me. Now I've never actually ended up doing it myself because I kind of moved on from there to go to the digital world and stuff like that. But it's something that I found to be either too too difficult for me to kind of comprehend. Or I didn't have the motivation to understand how it would work because you've got the three different solutions, I think, from memory. Um, and then you have to make sure that you're putting them in the right solution for the right length of time. And then you have to make sure you've got the dark room, which is actually a red room. And I could never figure that out. I said, why is it called a dark room when it's actually a red room, Dale? My brother's name is Dale. So was it something that, you know, you found even under the, the, the processing of the images and the developing of the images that you messed some of those up as well? Or did you learn that from sixth form in school? Uh, I think, yeah, I, I probably screwed up more than I'd like to admit, to be honest. <laughs> but I think my trouble was more uh, out in the field. You know, it wasn't so much the developing. I could develop the rubbish that I'd exposed. Taken <laughs> so, in the field. Yeah, yeah, that was the thing. <laughs> I mean, I love the fact with digital, you can get it wrong as often as you like. This is but, very true. Um, but I did that for, I, I was up and down the South Wales coast for about five years. Um and then I sort of got to a point where sex and drugs and rock and roll took over. And, and I... As you do. Yeah. And then family and business. And I, I just kind of forgot about it. It wasn't a conscious decision. It wasn't a, oh, I'm not doing this anymore. Just mm. trips became further and further apart. And in the end, I just I just didn't. So... Wow. Well, you know, was it always landscape photography that you were into or had you tried your hand at any different other types of genres? I, I did try some street work in and around Cardiff and Bristol. Um, not, I wasn't very good at it at all. I, I just found landscapes were more accessible, especially living where I lived. Mm -hmm. um, I've always felt that, you know, if you think about it, everybody who owns a camera and in these days, a smartphone oh. is a landscape photographer because, mm -hmm. you know, you sure as eggs is eggs. There can't be a person out there who hasn't pointed their phone at a decent sunset or, 
you know, spotted something out in nature that they thought, I want to capture that, even though they might use it predominantly for family snaps or whatever. Everybody at some point shoots a landscape. Um, And so, yeah, by about 1985, it kind of coincided with getting married and and having my uh, daughter. And uh, so, yeah, it just, uh, in the end, the camera was gathering dust. So I sold it on and forgot about it for, well, I suppose 20 years. Wow. And, you know, you've kind of alluded to it there a moment ago as well, like that you, where you live, you've got so much and so many beautiful areas all around you. Tell us a bit more about your beautiful playground or back garden, one of the two. But you have them <laughs> both right outside your door. So tell us a bit more about your, your playground. Well, yeah, because I live on Anglesey. I'm, I'm on the southwest side of Anglesey and anybody, uh, I'm sure one or two uh, photography listeners will be aware of where around about where I live. I live kind of between the church in the sea and Llanthwyn Island with a famous mm-hmm. big tower. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are during lockdown, I was able to cycle to those. Um, so Llanthwyn Island on an Easter Saturday when there was me and two Coast Guards, that was quite an interesting experience. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I, I do go up to the north of the island now and then because the south is wide open beaches and there's the odd rocky headland, but it's mostly quite low lying. But on the mm-hmm. north of the island, there are some quite impressive sea cliffs. Uh, and, of course, we've got the the lighthouses that a lot of people will know of. So mm-hmm. I'm not short of subject material. And it is very much a case of, you know, check the weather forecast, look out the window, see what's going on and reacting to it. Uh, it's not often that I have to plan something in advance because I've got my business life set up in a way that I can just head out any time I want, really. Um, and then over onto the the mainland, I'm about 20 minutes from the main northwestern peaks of Snowdonia. So that's the Snowdon Range, the Glidders, the Carnethai, and the Moyle Winyon. I mean, the National Park is 830 square miles, but I only occupy myself with a very small top corner uh, so I can get to any location that I might want to shoot within 20 or 30 minutes drive. Mind you, the hikes can be quite a lot longer than that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, you've, you kind of mentioned it there when you get to the Snowdonia area. Like you, when I look, we'll get to your videos in a moment, right? But I'll kind of give a sneak peek. You've got a fantastic YouTube channel. And what I love about watching your channel is that I visited these places once on my, when I, was, when I went, went on a trip, right? But when I watch your videos, it's like as if I'm back there again, but you also give a huge amount of information about the area. And on top of that, you can pronounce every single place perfectly, <laughs> which everybody else butchers the names of many different areas that are there. So, you know, I think like Anglesey for me was beautiful. Um, we went to the South Stack. We got some incredible conditions in South Stack. We had fog that was there for three days. We tried each day to go take photographs on the last day. Just before we left, we said, okay, we give it one more go. We went back, the fog dropped, beautiful. And I really, really loved that whole area. We went to Lynn Nantel, and that was beautiful as well. All right. And But we were on a Snowdonia trip, but we spent a lot of time in Anglesey because it was just so nice. I mean, the lighthouse is not a lighthouse. Landwin Island, did I pronounce it badly? That's, yeah, not bad. Yeah. Um, like That was one of my most favorite places that I went to visit. And again, I was on a Snowdonia trip, but we spent the time in Anglesey. So like your garden is a beautiful place to be able to go. But 
if you're if I was to ask you one thing in particular, what do you like most about Anglesey? Uh it's it's sort of semi photographic, but not. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I like that I live on the shores of an eighty acre lake, um, because some of my best photographs have come from that lake, where I literally walk out my front door and set the tripod up. Nice. Um, but also being a fisherman, it's full of wild sea trout, so I can jump in my boat as well. But nice. um, yeah, yeah, it, it it is the fact that where I live is very very secluded. Uh, some of my photography chums have come to visit and been astounded that you could barely drive down the quarter of a mile track to my house without a bulldozer <laughs> to get through the growth. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it's that positioning, though. It, it's that I, I'm sort of, I'm not central in the island at all. I'm on the coast, but I can get to any part of the shores, any part around the coast uh, in no time at all. And then I've also got the mainland. I, I came up to this part of the world for the mountains. Mm -hmm. Living on the island, I hadn't anticipated living on Anglesey. I, I didn't really know it very well. Uh, and it was only when I came over and thought, oh, gosh, just like yourself almost, Darren, because I hadn't visited much over the years, uh, apart from mm -hmm. Menai Bridge, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't really know much about the coastline. And so uh, it, it was a real eye-opener. And I think um, in terms of being able to react to things, the mountains, I know it sounds bonkers, but they're actually slightly more consistent in terms of conditions. Okay. W whereas on the coast, things can change. And, and if, if there's a decent southwesterly blowing up, what you've got to bear in mind is the mountains don't suffer from tides, whereas coastal photography requires sure. absolute attention to what the tide is doing. Mm -hmm. um, and even, I know it sounds nuts, but the structure of the flow of, of waves and, and the patterns that you get will be different depending on whether it's an ebb tide or a flood tide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and because I do almost no photography more than an hour from my front door, you know, a, a certain rock formation, I, I'll know that rock formation inside out and I will have shot it 500 times before mm -hmm. I get an image that I'm content with or that achieves what I thought it had the potential to achieve. So Anglesey affords me that luxury of some amazing locations, but also uh, the fact that because I'm on the doorstep, I can react to what's going on very quickly. And it's it's got me some images that I'm very happy with over the years because of that ability to do that. Whereas if you go into the mountains and it's, uh, you know, it's a cloudy day, you can mm -hmm. bet your bottom dollar that the peaks, because the cloud base is usually about two and a half thousand feet, which means the sort of top 500 feet are, yeah, are in cloud. In. Yeah, exactly. So um, th there's that. And, and also the, the mountains are, you kind of have to work harder. So I would have to spend a day in the mountains to get a couple of good images, but I could get a couple of good images in two hours on the beach at the right time in the right conditions. Mm. And I think something you mentioned there as well, I think, which is quite interesting is you haven't got a huge area either around you. So it's quite condensed, but there's a lot to take photographs in different styles in different areas. But if you know those areas implicitly, then all you're looking now for is the conditions as opposed to the area to go to. And I exactly think that's, that. 
And that's a very interesting way to look at things because, you know, most photographers, they might go to a new location. They now have to find that location, number one. They also have to know where that location lies geographically, where it's going to lie for the light and the conditions that they're going to have. But you now have that almost like the back of your hand that you know where it is. And you look out the window and go, that weather could be great for this place. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, over the last sort of five years or so, I've done next to no photography more than an hour from my front door. So there are bits of rock in the mountains that uh, sit perfectly with a backdrop of another peak. So the shape of the foreground rock reflects the shape of the background peak. Mm -hmm. And in between, there might be a misty valley, assuming there's Mm -hmm. some mist. And so, you know, you kind of, you have to haul your tent up there and, and get up at five in the morning to to see whether you've got anything. And very often you haven't. And you think, okay, I've had a really nice camping trip. Mm, um, mm. But it, it actually does create some problems insofar as for, from a photographic standpoint, I, I'm perfectly happy shooting the same scene a hundred times because it's mm-hmm. always, it always looks different as we know. But mm-hmm. um, the viewers to my YouTube channel would get a bit miffed if, if every single trip was the church in the sea. Or Sandwin <laughs> Island. So I kind of have to, uh, sometimes I have to make a trip to somewhere I don't normally go to, to fill a gap in my channel. Um, mm-hmm. And the gaps in my channel are getting bigger and bigger of late. <laughs> and you, you know what, though, the thing about it is, is that does that not also help you? Because it forces you to go find a new location, but you might find a gem that you never even thought of again. And then it's registered in the memory bank that when you do get those conditions, I now have this new area in my locker that I can go to. So it kind of benefits you to kind of step outside the comfort zone, I do think, because you will discover something about the landscape, but you'll also probably discover something about yourself as well. That you know what? I never came here for whatever reason. And why didn't I come here? I'm going to come here more often again thereafter. Have you found that? Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. You're 100% right there. It, it, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no such thing as a wasted trip into the mountains or a I gotta say a bit of coast because I actually do know the entire coast like the back of my hand, but the mountains <laughs> still have things to offer. And in fact, um, particularly over the last couple of years where they've been busier than normal, mm-hmm. uh, I've been forced to go slightly, not further afield, but more off the beaten track to get away from the crowds to areas that previously I wouldn't have bothered with because I, I'll go somewhere that I know is spectacular but it's no use to me if it's spectacular and busier than Piccadilly Circus. So I've been forced off the beaten track and I found some really interesting spots over yeah, the I've, last I've couple of I've seen some of beautiful summers. photographs, yeah, of areas that I wouldn't even think of. And you go, I'm in a certain place here, but, you know, the interesting thing about it is there's nobody, I haven't seen anybody all day long, and now look what I'm looking at. And that's when you're finding something unique because it's kind of, instead of going right like everybody else, you're taking a different path and you're going left, but you're discovering then all of a sudden something that you might come back to a hundred times. It could be your new go-to area that you wouldn't necessarily have gone to unless you had to, to avoid the crowds. And I think that's always interesting from a, uh, an outdoor photography point of view, because you're right. You can always go back to the same place that you've gone to before. The conditions will be different every single time and yeah. you will always get a different shot. But when you find a whole different composition, then it opens up a whole different world. And you've got a lot of them from the coastline point of view. I mean, I barely even scratched the surface of Anglesey from a coast point of view. I went to Penman uh, when I yeah. first arrived. 
Um, and I remember thinking at the time going, yeah, this would be great in stormy weather. I didn't have any, I'd, I'd flat cam, more or less flat cam water. Yeah. But when you get a good storm, I remember messaging you a couple of months back and I was like, it's on the way. And you messaged me, I go, it's already here. And like, <laughs> that's where I, I love because the, the westerlies come in from us and they pass over to us to go to you guys. But you have advanced notice of them coming through. You can go, I want to go to this spot here. So like, have you got a favorite subject that you like to photograph in Anglicity? Forget about the mountains. We'll go to the mountains in a moment. Okay. Have you got a favorite subject that you like to photograph in Anglesey that you, is your go-to? And you'll say, every time I go there, I know I'm going to get a shot. Or a type. Is it, is it seascape? You, What is it? Okay. Um, I have, but actually, it's it's almost the opposite. It's every time I go there, I know it's going to be rubbish. Um, it's the Church in the Sea, which okay. is one of the most difficult locations I've ever come across to get a decent picture. It really requires very, very specific conditions. But if those conditions come together, it's absolutely spectacular. And so whilst I could go down to Llandwin Island and fire off half a dozen really top quality shots with my eyes closed. Mm-hmm. The Church in the Sea presents that challenge. And I go down there and I try different things and scratch my head and go back down and try something else. Um, and it helps that it's only about a mile and a half away, but I've spent so many hours on that rocky moonscape of a beach at low tide thinking, I, I'm almost determined to make a decent low tide picture so that I can share it with people. Because mm-hmm. I know so many photographers who've come here and been disappointed at how difficult it is to get a good shot because the conditions that you need a very high spring tide or a really strong southwesterly, um, those sort of conditions don't come together that often. But when they do, my goodness, it makes it all worthwhile. So it's almost like playing the lottery and, you know, you, you still mm-hmm. play it every week, but one, one day your numbers will come up. Yeah, one day it'll all match. Yeah. So let yeah. me ask you, what what is the ideal situation? So if you were to win the lottery for la- landscape photography conditions with the church in the sea, what would the conditions be? It, it would be a howling gale straight up the Irish Sea, about a south-southwesterly with a very, very high spring tide and ideally a named storm. So we get a bit of extra storm surge as well. Mm-hmm. because that's the way that you get the church completely isolated because it isn't really in the sea. It's, it, you know, it, even at high tide on a, on a neap tide, you can still walk out without getting your knees wet. Um, but it's such a rocky moonscape at low tide. It's so messy that it's very difficult to get a shot. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's that heavy storm. I have a photograph on my uh, on my Flickr page which illustrates that. Uh, there's a particular okay. uh, wave pattern you get where you get a sort of zigzag of waves. And if you time it just right and you can keep the spray off your lens, you might just get a shot. And what, what does the sky need to be doing? Do you need some crispicular rays coming down right above on top of the church in the sea? That that yeah, I mean that that's the Euro Millions. I've just been talking about the British lottery. <laughs> but yeah, if I had that as well, I mean you know I, I'm crap at sky replacement, so I've got to wait for it to happen for real. Yeah, you know, I I would never use a sky replacement anyway. I just don't know how to use it. I do it for fun. I did it for fun once, and I went no, 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 no. <laughs> I won't do that. I won't do that. So yeah, we'll have to 
put our fingers and toes crossed and hope to the photography gods that you get the ideal conditions with a high spring tide, southwesterlies coming in, a storm named David, and oh, that would be some crespicular rays coming down onto the church in the sea, and then you've got your banger shot. How about that? That that would be the one. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, look, we'll do our fingers and toes, David. Best of luck for that one. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to take a very quick break and I'll be right back because I want to talk to you more about the mountains and your passion for the mountains. So we'll be right back after this. If you're enjoying this episode of the Irish Photography Podcast, why not jump back and listen to the back catalogue we have of episodes where you'll get some great insights from fantastic guests, gear reviews, lots of hints and tips, and above all else, keeping you company while you drive or relax. Thanks very much for listening. Please consider subscribing, leaving a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Irish Photography Podcast. So, David, like I alluded to there in the first part of the show, um, I want to talk to you more about the mountains, because the mountains are something that you are really, really drawn to. Tell us why. Oh, where do I start? Um, I just... At the base. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you park up, you try and find a parking spot. No, um... It comes from growing up with them, and it it comes from uh, my father has been quite a big influence on me over the years, as you'd mm-hmm. expect. We're, we're pretty yeah. close, and he was a rock climber in his youth in the 50s and early 60s, and he knew those mountains like the back of his hand, and he shared his stories of how it was back then before they'd invented Gore-Tex and okay. all that sort of thing. I mean, I find it incredible, some of his stories. I, I, I'd i like to challenge him on some of them because I don't believe half of them. He talks about <laughs> camping at the top of the glitters and walking all the way to Bethesda to have a few pints before walking all the way back up and then back up to the ridge where they've left their tents. <laughs> now, when he told me that as a youngster, I was like, oh, you know, my daddy's rock hard. He can do these sort of things when he was younger. Now I know exactly where his tent was pitched and that it's a good sort of five or six mile hike plus several thousand meters of elevation. Wow. I yeah, think, so hang on a minute. This after a few points. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't quite sound right. But no, so we talked about the mountains a lot. He he would, you know, take me on trips around. Oh, you see that cliff there? Yeah, I scale. I was the first one to scale that bit. And uh, it's a couple of routes actually named after him because he was the first one to do those routes. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I, I, it just rubbed off on me. But being a, a bit of a Nancy boy, I wasn't into the climbing. I was just into the hiking. Uh, But but nevertheless, uh, whilst I I take the easy route up, you still end up at the same place on the summits. And uh, so, yes, I always loved them. And for some reason, I managed to avoid living in this neck of the woods for the first sort of 50 odd years of my life. Um, I came frequently, but Mm -hmm. uh, I got to a point where for some reason I was living in Pembrokeshire and I thought, what the hell am I doing here? Well, so I'm driving yeah. up and down to the mountains. I might as well just move up the, up the country. So I did, and we came up to Anglesey in 2013. Uh, best move I ever made. Yeah, so been here eight years now. Um, wow. But yeah, so so I think the thing about the mountains, um, particularly the Welsh Snowdonia peaks, is a lot of photographers know the Lake District pretty well, which I suppose is sort of comparable and. Probably fewer know much about the Highlands of Scotland because it's so huge. Mm-hmm. The thing about the main peaks in Snowdonia, sort of line of sight, uh, 
it's probably only about seven or eight miles all the way across the main valleys uh, as the crow flies. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy if you've got the ability to spend some time there to get to know it extremely well. And I, I find that by, as we mentioned in the first part, by going to the same location time and time again, you improve what you can get from that location. I'm pretty sure it doesn't make me a better photographer. It just makes me a better photographer of those particular locations. If you because if you, you drop them exactly, if you drop me in the Canadian Rockies, I I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be anything like uh, Gavin's standard or Adam's <laughs> standard. But that's their doorstep too, you see. So they're more used to going there, very similar to you. So you know, if you put them into the Snowdonia Mountains, I bet there'd be a challenge as well for them to figure out the wood from the trees per se, and even though there's no woods in the trees in the mountain, but if you know what I mean, to be able yeah. to find that composition because they wouldn't have the familiarity to how it's linked. And I think that's something that, that comes with experience. The more you do something, the better you become by default. But the more you explore your mountains and you're passionate about them as well, I think the more you probably fall in love with them every time too, because there is that certain draw. And as you mentioned, you know, it comes from growing up with your father and stuff like that, but then to go and exploring it yourself, and then to become intimately familiar with certain areas, then you, you kind of feel at home in the mountains, I imagine. That's my take on it. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's, um, you know, just a boulder. I've got a favorite boulder. I've got a favorite little cascade mm -hmm. of water. Um, I've got a favorite summit. And, and they all hold fabulous memories. Uh, and, and they also hold some pretty tough, challenging times when the conditions aren't so good. But, uh, yeah, you do get to the point where it's all very, very familiar and uh, it, it, it helps with the photography mm. to know exactly what I'm about when I head up there. And, of course, I don't know what the light's going to do. It may well be that there's a fabulous sunbeam lighting up a peak and, oh, I haven't shot it from that angle before, but it looks great. Let's get a shot. Um, but by and large... Uh, unless I'm reacting to light, certainly in terms of composition, I'm often working a composition over a period of months or even years. Mm. Tell me, have you a favourite? I have. It's not a very well-known peak, although I have taken some friends up to the summit. It, it's a little cousin to Snowden. It's right okay. next door to it, and it's called Iraran. Okay. And it's not very high, but it puts you with line of sight across the main areas of the park. Uh, and so it's a sort of summit that whether it's sunrise, sunset or whatever time of day, uh, it's quite mm. accessible as well. You don't have to be particularly uh, fit or experienced in the mountains to make that summit. Um, but I do, I do like that one. And, and also because I can look down across the, uh, the Irish Sea from there as well. That's kind of nice. Yeah, it seems to be, as you, as you mentioned, you know, to be able to see so many other peaks from one, when you pop on the long lens as well, then you're opening up so many different compositions, as you say, with the light. So if the light is falling on, and I'll, I'll, I'll try and pronounce it incorrectly, okay? So it's Trifan, correct or incorrect? <laughs> but if the light is falling there, can you see that from there? Uh, you can just about see the peak of Trifan uh, from okay. that particular peak, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, like you've got some amazing views there. Um, so that sounds interesting. Yeah. So and also, Aaron, Aaron is Aaron. I presume is a, is a Celtic name. I imagine is it? I guess so. Yeah. 
Uh, I yeah. don't know if there's a specific translation. I, I'm semi-fluent in Welsh, but I, I don't know if it has a specific translation. Well, you, you've a lot more Welsh than me anyway, and I'm half Welsh. My father was Welsh, and I've got not one bit of Welsh. I have some if I re really try and remember it, but I won't be able to remember it. Max Boyce, I remember growing up listening to Max Boyce. That was it. That was as much Welsh I got in the exposure to that. And, you know, next question I suppose I have for you then, as you mentioned, where you're living and you're looking, you know, out at, over at uh, Snowdon and you know, the whole mountain range. How did it feel when you were sitting at home in lockdown, but you couldn't go? And you were able to see them. I remember watching videos and you're looking kind of going, there they are. I decided, you know, I'll take out my long lens. I'll get some mountain photography, but obviously not being able to move. So like how torturous was it during that period of time? Genuinely. It, it was horrific. It really was. Not least because we had some amazing conditions. We had some great snowfalls that I couldn't really take advantage of. Um, I did get one decent shot of the ridge of the glitters. Mm -hmm. when I was trying to get a shot of the flower supermoon last year mm -hmm. and it was going to come up over the, the glitters ridge. So I had an extremely long lens and that worked out quite well. That was about as close as I got to them. Um, but yeah, it, it was that um, sort of late winter, early spring period was the worst when we first went into lockdown because that's when the conditions were really good. And once we were allowed out and the, the mountains were full of crowds, it was just a standard summer. I mean, I love the summer. Don't get me wrong. I'm not as precious about it as some photographers. But, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, yeah, it was pretty spectacular. Then, of course, I thought, oh, it'll, we'll get the late autumn and we'll get some nice mood. And we went into another bloody lockdown. <laughs> so that yeah. didn't work out very well either. And then, obviously, when lockdown finished, you had then more, not only you could go there, but other people were going there. And I remember... When I was uh, on my trip, one of the guys wanted to go up to Snowdon and we were saying, look, we're not going to hike up to it anyway because it's going to take us too long. How about we look and see if we get the train up there? And then one of the other guys, it was a friend of ours, had actually gone up from the night before and he camped up there. And he sent us a picture with the amount of people that were camping up there already. And then the following morning, just at dawn, there was a queue of people to reach the peak in Snowdon. And I'm thinking to myself, that's, that's not the idea of, climbing a mountain to me i mean it must no. be horrendous when there's lots of people around there too it's very it's a it's a very much so a draw for mountain and hiking for sure oh it is yeah absolutely I, and and i can completely understand why people like to go up there and, and tick it off oh yeah we've done the highest mountain in england and wales um and uh the last couple of summers we've had people that probably wouldn't have come to the mountains if they could go to magaluf or whatever but mm -hmm. That said, uh, I am very much an ambassador for Snowdonia in, in spirit as well as actually am an ambassador for Snowdonia in the, the National Park Scheme. Okay. And yeah. uh, I, I part of the reason, part of the motivation for broadcasting my photography was very much to share my love of this area, to make it more accessible to people that thought, oh, could I, where would I go to Snowdonia, you know? And and I've gone from doing roadside photography to help people who are less mobile to get some great images from a lay-by, not have to walk at all, to other people that want to camp on a summit. Um, so I, I encourage visitors. And I also, uh, and I've got into some discussions with photographers on this subject over the years, where certain people will say, oh, you shouldn't be telling people where you took that picture because mm. you'll end up with loads of tripod holes. And... 
my attitude is, well, first off, you know, this is me. Who's, nobody's listening to me, so I'm not likely <laughs> to influence that many people. But also, uh, it just strikes me that if you're going to be precious about a location, I think there's almost a, a sort of false snobbery at work mm. because mm. if somebody else pitches up and gets a great image or doesn't get a great image but has a great time, really enjoys themselves, challenges themselves maybe, that's great. And and I love that people write in to me and say, oh, I just had a trip to Snowdonia. I watched some of your videos. They were really helpful and the location guides on your website and all that sort of thing. So I, I'm a bit of a sort of travel agent or, or a mm -hmm. tourist mm -hmm. information service. Um, and it can be difficult. You know, some of my friends will tell you that I have moaned from time to time that I get half a dozen emails a day asking for specific advice. Um, but in the scheme of things, I, I like that people get a reward from what mm. I'm able to offer with my knowledge. And the photography is almost an adjunct to that because I could just as easily do a hiking or you know, out and about channel in the mountains. Um, so I hung some photography on it because I thought, well, I can do that and other people are doing it. So there must be an audience. Um, but yeah, come to Snowdonia. You, you'll have a really, really good time. And, you know, it's, it, you, two things come to mind. You mentioned that. I mean, number one, nobody owns the mountains. So nobody should say or shouldn't say that you shouldn't or shouldn't go exploring. And secondly, there are guided paths that people follow. And you'd much prefer to somebody to know where the guided path is to be able to find the place rather than tramping all over somewhere just to try and find a path that they thought was down this way. So you're actually doing a service to the area by helping people to get there in the correct path and safely. And, you know, by doing it on, on, on from your video point of view as well, they can see it not just on the image and trying to read a map. I mean, maps have been around for years. Guidebooks have been around for years. I mean, you know, hiking guides have been around for years, so there's nothing incorrect in that. And I don't see any reason why people would have an issue for me looking at what you produce, because you're not telling somebody there's a secret area down here. Don't tell anybody, but I'm going to show you. You never do that. You're bringing people in an area which is accessible to most, but is well signposted as well. So, yeah, it's part of it's part of the course, no? It is. And, and I, yeah, I, I think if, if you honestly think that you're a big enough photographer that you can take a picture and then pretend, oh, I'm not sharing this location. And I just think there's a horrific amount of ego, uh, mm. unwarranted ego going on in that sort of approach. Uh, but one thing I am absolutely passionate about is mountain safety. And I, mm -hmm. I, I think that um, people are far too casual about the mountains this time of year, you'd struggle to get into too much trouble because if you stub your toe and you're struggling, there'll be 500 people walking past any minute. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, but there are times when the mountains can take you by surprise. And if you're not prepared, you can get into awful lot of bother very, very quickly. Oh, uh, for sure. So. And, I, and, I, and I've even seen... You know, some of your videos, and actually I want to talk about your YouTube channel in a moment, but kind of as a precursor to that, you'll start off, and this is what I love about video, you'll start off in what seems like a balmy day, and it ends up miserable. It ends up you can't see more than 20 feet in front of you. And if you're up on top of a mountain and you don't know your way around, that's very easy to get lost, and that's very easy to get injured, and it's very easy for you to die because you don't know which way to go. So by 
sharing it with somebody that this is the right way to go. And to also say, you know what, bring clothes, not just a T-shirt you have in your back. You will need another set of clothes because you're going to be warm by the time you get up there. And if it gets cold up there, then that's going to potentially, if it's really cold, turn to ice in reality. So bring another layer or bring something that you can change when you read to the top. Boots. You mentioned, you know, people going up in trainers. Yeah. Grand, that's grand in the summertime, but you're not going to do that if it starts to rain. All of a sudden it starts to come slushy and slippy. Then you're ghost, really. So Exactly. It, yeah. it's, it, it, it's, it's an awful lot of common sense, but I think what people don't understand is that uh, if, you, if you're off the beaten track, you know, if you're not on a main path up Snowden, and plenty of people don't go on the main mountains, they'll, they'll go off the beaten track. But if you get into some sort of bother, that means uh, you've only got to twist your ankle mm-hmm. and you can't get off the hill. And if you're up at 800 metres, you've got a big problem because it, time goes on, mountain rescue will come out, but it's going to take them a while to form up. It's going to take them a while to get up the hill and then they've got to find you. Uh, and my, my backpack is full of stuff that would allow me to have a comfortable night on the mountain in any mm-hmm. conditions. Uh, and people have said to me, oh, you're, you're Mr. Traveling Light. You shoot micro four thirds and only carry a couple of lenses. And so what you've got this great big backpack on for? But the answer is I'd have the great big backpack, whether I had any photography gear or not. Or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, for you safety. know. Yeah, exactly. I can cook a hot meal. I've got a shelter. I've got several layers. I've got some dry socks and all of that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So that while I'm waiting for Mountain Rescue to come and haul me off, I'm not dying of hypothermia because that's that's what tends to kill people, not the stubbed toe or the twisted ankle. It's the hypothermia while they're waiting. Yeah, yeah. And unbeknownst to them as well, it does get cold on mountains at nighttime. Newsflash. (laughs) (laughs) So let, let, let me go on to the next thing I want to talk to you about, I suppose, which is your YouTube channel, right? So, you know, when I say the next statement, you'll go, ah, give over. But I'm going to say it anyway. You have a very successful YouTube channel. Ah, give tell over. Us, tell, us, <laughs> tell us more about it and how it got started. So you kind of alluded to it a moment ago, but tell us how did you get started on the whole YouTube world? I, I, I took photography back up uh, by mistake in 2005. Okay. This is kind of a long story, but I'll, I'll keep it as brief as possible. So I, I didn't do any photography for about 20 years. And in 2005, I got into digital photography by accident because I had a business that required photographs for insurance claims. Okay. And there was a, an oil refinery explosion in the south of England. And it was okay. in my patch. And I needed to get reports back to these insurers really fast because people's houses had been blown up. Okay. And so this newfangled digital had started and I thought, right, I'm going to do that. So I bought a digital camera and uh, I, I, I got right back into it, shooting Nikon. And uh, in about 2016, I want to say something like that. I can't remember how long it was. I was taking landscape photographs and... I, I was looking around YouTube. I, I didn't bother with YouTube at all before that, but I just wanted to get some pointers um, for local spots up around here. So I found a chap called Jason Jones doing photography in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And I saw what he was doing and I thought, oh, that's, he's got this nice record of his shoots and his walks and all this. And I, I should do that. You know, at some point 
I might have a grandson who might find that interesting in years to come. Mm-hmm. And that's how it started. And, and I, I just made the first sort of 50 videos to share with family and friends with, with really no thought to anything beyond that. And it was only when people started engaging with me a little bit that I realized there was there's an audience. And so I thought, well, okay, <laughs> there's an audience. We'll, we'll build on that then. And, and mm-hmm. that was it. It was completely accidental. And, and I still very much please myself. I know that one or two people seem to quite enjoy what I do, uh, but I, I don't play to the gallery at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and and mm-hmm. even to the extent of, you know, being a bit sweary sometimes about things that get up my nose, <laughs> my <laughs> channel, my rules. Well, you know what? You're probably dead right too, because at the end of the day, it is your channel. It is your rules, you know. And like I said a moment ago, what I enjoy about your channel is that it's very informative. You are giving, you know, a kind of a top-down map area where you are, the best way to get to it, what to expect, the time of year to be there. So it's very much so educational. And I think when you start looking at from that point of view, do you see yourself as an educator or do you still see yourself as somebody who's just recording your your trips? No, I, I, it has morphed into, uh, as I mentioned earlier, about uh, being an ambassador for mm-hmm. this area. Um so the the national park, in association with the uh, Welsh government, at uh, the start of this year, brought out this scheme where you could get a qualification based on your okay. knowledge of the area, and that's cultural, geographical, language, uh, flora, fauna, everything really. Um, and so you 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 become uh, what's the word accredited. Uh, And it it allows you to have a sticker in your car that says Snowdonia Ambassador so the locals don't come at you with their pitchforks and flaming torches. (laughs) Uh, So that's helpful. Um, But, yeah, it's it's, my channel has very much morphed into when to come, where to come, where to park, where, where you can get a decent photograph from. And I still do a little bit. I talk a little bit about settings and composition, but I'm by no means qualified to teach anyone photography. But I, I feel I do have something to offer in terms of this area and how to get the best from it as a photographer. And through the, the medium of YouTube, we're bringing the image to life and telling the story behind that along the way, trials and tribulations and everything else. I think people are... They're, you know, they buy into the person. I mean, I buy into you watching your channel because, you know, I where's he going to go today? What hardships is he going to encounter? Is he going to have profanities? Yes or no. And what type of images is he going to get at the end as the net result? So for, as a, a, a viewer, I know what to expect, but at the same time, I still don't know what to expect. And I think it's probably the same for you when you go off out because like any photographer, you have an idea what you're going to expect, but you don't know what exactly the conditions are going to yield to you. You don't know what way you're going to point your camera. And I think that's the fun part of the the, the, the video side of things. That's what I enjoy about making my channel anyway, is that, you know, exactly as you say, I mean, I'm very similar to you actually, because my channel created as a joke. And I then started thinking, you know what, when my when I'm dead and gone, my kids will have something to watch of where I was when I wasn't there when they woke up or when I wasn't there when they were going to bed. And that. It's kind of creating a legacy for them, but it's also a movie legacy of my photography journey that I can look back on. And I think it'd be even from your point of view as well, you can see the progression, not only in your photos, but also in your videography style, because you have improved immensely, I think, in your 
presentation um, and what you're actually doing in front of the camera, but also it's behind the camera too, to know the right settings to get it looking good and sounding good and everything else as well. So there's a, there's a natural evolution to photography, but I can see a natural evolution as well, I think, from the, um, the, the, the videography point of view as I look in. So I enjoy, for that reason, tuning into your channel because I don't know what's going to happen. What am I going to see this week? Or am I going to see anything at all? And is somebody going to turn around and give out to you, hey, David, it's been four weeks since you released a video, mate. What's going on? I mean, <laughs> that's the amazing thing, I think, about the, the expectation that people have is that, you know, you'll do this because you do it for what you want it to do. And if you create a video, you create a video. So be it. But like, what do you enjoy most about the YouTube world or what do you least enjoy about the YouTube world? Uh, that's such an easy question to answer. What I enjoy most are the, the people like yourself and the mm -hmm. other friends that I've made along the way, uh, people with a shared interest. And, and uh, we have so much fun with it, particularly on our weekly pubcast that mm -hmm. that is due to come back at some point. Brilliant. Um, we're going to get onto that soon. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> I'm getting exclusive um, on that one. Go on. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's the people I've met along the way. Uh, I, I, Pretty much all of my close friends are photographers. Some are also YouTubers. Um, and one or two live quite local and we, we get together now and then. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so it, it's it's the community. By a country mile is the best thing about it. Okay, that's the fluffy stuff. Go on. What's the worst part about it? Having to make videos. It's a pain in the <laughs> ass. <laughs> I, I've currently got a sponsorship deal and I'm at the point now where I'm I'm contracted to make one video a month for them. At the moment, that's all I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's that's all been a bit lastminute.com as well. I've had to write to them a couple of times and say, oh, this month is going to be a few days late. Uh, tell me, what, what do you not enjoy about it? Is it the filming of it or is it the editing afterwards? Uh, no, the funny thing is I really enjoy all of it. I've always okay. enjoyed making sort of short holiday movies and this, that, and the other. And uh, so it, it was never going to be particularly onerous to do it. Um, but there has been an element of not wanting to take people back to the same location time and time uh -huh. again. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's the, the headache is sometimes finding something a little bit different to do. Uh, and, and at the moment, there's a lot of crowds around and, uh, and and I also, outside of YouTube and photography, I've got a business life. So mm -hmm. sometimes that has to, to you have to be in the driving seat for that. Yeah, it does take time, to be fair. It you know, it, it takes a lot of time, not only to take to get out and to plan to get out and take the photographs, but obviously you have to record the video. Do I have to do a piece of camera for this? Oh, I got to get the bit of B-roll. Okay, I'm talking about something. I have to record something about that so that you can put a whole cohesive story together there afterwards. And like. I think the YouTube world is something where it's very immersive. You can see the person behind the image as opposed to looking at a, a 2D image of a 3D scene. The video can kind of give you that depth of where you are and everything else. And it's, I, that's why I enjoy watching YouTube videos from other landscape photographers, but also creating them myself. And it's no, it no longer is just the image. And when I came across your channel, actually, I was thinking, who's this guy? This D. Griff Gallery. What's this fella? What's this about? So this is one of the questions I wanted to ask you, actually. What is, or who is, tell me, what's D. Griff Gallery? Well, what it was, 
was that when I was looking for a domain name, okay, uh, I couldn't get sort of co UK or anything like that. So every permutation of my name was already taken by somebody for some reason or other. Okay. So I could get dgriff.gallery and I thought, fuck it, that'll do. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> Um, I thought so, there was I thought there was a whole load of backstory behind it. I was like, once upon a time, I had a gallery. No, um, no. Ah, there, there, I, I was expecting a really, really, really you know, complex story you now behind that. You know, it could have been something like D Griff's online dot gallery or something like that. But it, it just and and the other thing about it is the at names for things like Twitter and and Instagram. Of course, it's such a bizarre name; they're always available. So I managed to Hoover up all those sort of things as well with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good idea. Good idea. Keeps it unique as well, I suppose. Yeah, and also you get cohesiveness going through the whole lot of it too. So yeah, but it sounds a bit gormless, but people remember it easily enough. I did. <laughs> so much so that I went, if I ever get to talk to this guy, I have to ask him where the story that comes from. So, no, you do remember it. You do remember yeah. it. Okay. And the next thing I suppose is you alluded to there a moment ago. So you have had and will have a, your own weekly podcast, but it's not a podcast. It's a pubcast. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not very, own, very, it's nothing to do with me. I, I'm, I'm pretty much just a hanger on. <laughs> I I was alluding to that because you've got a, you've got other regulars as well that are there with you every single week. And what I love about it is that, like I say, it's a it's a chat. It it came from the whole lockdown point of view. I imagine you can tell us a story about it in a moment. But what I loved about it was there's a very simple form. Is we're going to sit down as if we're in the pub, and we'll have a few drinks and we'll talk photography. And some of the conversations that have come out of that have been absolutely hilarious. So. Tell our listeners about the podcast. Well, again, it comes out of the fact that that uh, we were four friends uh, just based around being YouTubers and photographers. And we, we dotted around the country, so we don't get to see each other very often. And it wasn't my idea. A couple of the other lads were out somewhere on a shoot somewhere in East Anglia and they said, oh, we should get online a bit, you know, and then lockdown came along. Oh, we should definitely get online, have a few drinks. Let's do it on a Friday night. Mm -hmm. So they, they roped uh, me into it. Uh, and then we had uh, Mally and James, a sp special guest about episode four, I think it was. And they were so good. We just, they just kept them on it. Plus the fact we didn't have to keep hunting around for guests mm -hmm. <laughs> because we're mm -hmm. lazy buggers. Um, <laughs> But it, it was it's entirely run uh, by Gary Norman, who's just the most amazing guy when it comes to organizing things. He handles all the tech and keeps us in line. And, and we sort of have a loose running order because we found in the early shows that either we got too pissed too early, um, <laughs> it just, we peaked too soon. Uh, or And it's kind of bizarre because they're, we we don't always all drink and mm -hmm. very often none of us drink particularly, but sometimes one or other will drink. I have been extremely drunk on one of them. Uh, <laughs> and Mally's been extremely drunk on God knows how many of them. Yes. yes. Uh, but yeah. So, so, and James just drinks tea because he's a bit lame. Yes. And that's but, exactly, he's a bit lame. Yeah. For drinking. But tea, there's, yeah. there's a, there's a loose running order because we sort of ran out of steam and of course didn't come across like that because Gary is a master of editing. 
Mm-hmm. But the, the recording process was a bit agonizing. So we, we sort of have a loose running order. But it's not all photography, of course. There, there's, you know, sort of current affairs and music. Six, yeah, six blokes in a pub and, and, you know, desert island discs and any any sort of bonkers idea we can come up with. And what what's absolutely bizarre is that people have tuned into this drivel because initially there was no thought of it going on a channel. It was just going to be us chatting. And then we decided we'd stick it out on our individual channels and rotate it round. And uh, yeah, I mean, things, most of my audience tuned into my channel because they were interested in my switch to Olympus. Mm-hmm. And then when I put this pubcast on, <laughs> my, my subs fell off a cliff. I did really. People didn't tune in for this sort of nonsense. (laughs) So tell me, there's you, there's Gary Norman. Gary Norman, re photography. Darren Knight, who's uh, he lives in Cambridge, spends a lot of time in the lakes this year, is doing some amazing stuff in the lakes. Yes. Um, Gary hasn't done much lately, but he's he's multi talented. He does all the editing the sound work, the video work, uh, and he cranks it out in no time. Yeah. We record three or four hours on a Friday night, and by tea time on a Saturday, the finished article's online. So hats off to Gary because he's done an amazing job. Um, and then there's Jamie Overland, just yeah. the nicest guy you could ever wish to meet. I, I've been out with him. He was in the mountains uh, with his family, mm-hmm. and he managed to blag a a sunrise, you know, the, the deal was got to be back by 10 o'clock or something like that. So we, okay. went, we I took him somewhere that was relatively accessible with only sort of 20 minutes walking. He had a fantastic morning. That was the first time I'd been out with him. And we just got on like a house on fire. And he was so chuffed because the previous day he'd climbed Snowden with his two lads or three lads. He's got, he's got sort of late teenage, sort of university age uh, boys Okay. So they had a sort of boys' day out climbing Snowden. He was so chuffed that he he was still alive the next morning. <laughs> yeah, survived to tell the tale. Yeah, right. but he's kind of like the quiet man of the podcast. He he sort of he'll say something when he's got something useful and pithy to to contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then of course Mally and James just settled straight in, and yeah. Mally subsequently decided that he couldn't commit to recording every Friday night. So yeah. Uh, we then started getting a special guest star in each week. Um, again, all organised by Gary. He's contacting people and getting them organised. Brilliant. And uh, yeah, Brilliant. so um, and we did fifty fifty two episodes. Then decided wow. to take a summer break. And we're we're having a meet up in the Lake District at the end of September. We'll probably shoot a trail for the new season and then kick it off in October. I think. Brilliant. what we're looking at doing brilliant so you're coming back so after your summer holidays and you're going to be on the piss again then for the winter time and settling back into hibernation and then shoot the shit on the different photography stories if it is talking about photography because as you say i've listened and watched nearly all of them i think actually um and yeah there's a bit of photography thrown in there yeah there is a bit yeah, just a smidgen. But uh, it's interesting because there's actually quite a lot of topics that have come out, you know, while we've been off air. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'd have something to say about uh, NFTs and that yeah. sort of thing. And they'll yeah. probably be the um, the UK Landscape Photographer of the Year Awards mm-hmm. will be announced before we recommence. So we'll probably have something to say about those. 
Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it. It's going to yeah. be it's going to be a good return, I think. Anyway, to the to the Friday night in the pub, um, and like again, again, I'll I'll give links to this in the show notes if anybody hasn't watched it or listened to it or anything like that. Because I would really recommend, you know, if you want to go to the pub and listen to people talk shit about photography for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, all depends on how flow the conversation is. But it's always entertaining. So well done on doing it. I'm really looking forward now to you coming back onto the next iteration season two yeah 52 is 52 is, is is amazing because you know most podcasts they say statistically speaking last eight episodes and then that they fall apart but i mean you stuck with it for 52 uh every single week and i mean all i can say is from my own point of view i was doing them every week yes i'm every two weeks now um because i'm doing it on my own since dearman retired and even at that it's a big commitment yeah to you know, to make sure that you're there, you set the time apart, that you do it. And then you have to edit it as well afterwards. But yeah, it's a phenomenal show. Well done in your successes so far. And I'm looking forward to um, season two. Okay. Thanks a lot. I've, I've two final questions before we go to break. Okay. First one is you almost moved to Ireland at one stage. I so, did. Yeah. Tell me, what's the story there? Well, I was spending a lot of time over in Dingle and, uh, when I lived in South Wales, it was easy to hop across. Um, mm -hmm. When I moved up to London and did 15 years of business out of London, it was easy to grab a Ryanair flight from Stansted out to Kerry and then just mm -hmm. hire a car. So we would do it four or five times a year. And I'm a keen fisherman, as I mentioned earlier. So I would uh -huh. fish in around Killarney uh, and some of the smaller streams out. Uh, there's a nice little brook that runs through Milltown into Dingle Bay. Mm -hmm. It's full of trout. Brilliant mm -hmm. fun. Um, and I found this real fixer-upper. It was a complete derelict on the road that goes from Ballyferret around to Dunquin. Okay. And it was on the side of the road. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, this is it's about 94, 95, something like that. And I couldn't find out who, who owned it, or whether it would be for sale or anything like that. Because it was difficult because I, I didn't really have any local contacts and I had to fly back to London. Mm -hmm. So I, I came back out about three months later and it had been fenced off and there was cement bags and a mixer in oh. the yard and people were already doing it up and I was gutted. Oh. And I came back about 12 months later and whoever had done it had done a fabulous job. They really restored. It was a lovely old vernacular cottage and they, they put a, 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 a sympathetic extension on it but it, it, it overlooks those three peaks. The three uh, sisters. The three sisters. So you're yeah. looking right across to the three sisters at your backyard. Class. And, what uh, a spot. Yeah. I, mean, I, I remember actually, was it this time last year? I think it was actually. I had a video released, which was the three sisters. And you I sent know, me a comment. Going, it. That was a house I nearly bought. I could nearly see it on those images. I'm like, what? Really? Yeah. Because that area, I I've, I've, I make no secret about it. I mean, Kerry is my favorite part in Ireland to go take photographs. And the Dingle Peninsula is top of the list in relation to that because you've got such a plethora of things to photograph and so many small little things, but they're yeah. huge things that make the difference as well. I mean, it would have been fantastic if you, if you, if you lived there, I suppose. Yeah. So any thoughts about ever moving over back? Garden, well, Garden I, I, I came over uh, a few years back, not that long, five years, six years, something like that. I stayed at a little hotel just up the road from Valley Ferry to, again, still overlooking the Three Sisters. And there's a house next door to it, which is derelict. 
<laughs> and the whole same process took over again. But then I saw sense because I, by then I was living where I live now. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the lovely Mrs. G said, look, you know, it's a lovely part of the world, but your family's over here. Yeah. You live somewhere yeah. that's comparable in terms of scenery. So, you know, let's be realistic. But it's a fa- fabulous house. It's a clifftop house. That's It's round. It's completely wow. round. It, it's next door to a hotel called Gorman's Clifftop Hotel. Okay. Which is, it's only about 10 minutes out of Dingle, something like that, quarter of an hour maybe. Uh, and the house next door, I think it's still derelict to this day, or at least it is according to Google Earth. I've, I've street viewed it a few times. <laughs> is it still there? Has anybody put yeah. the sand, cement bags in the garden yet? This is it. And I heard that yeah. Gorman's was for sale and I was so tempted. But the lovely <laughs> Mrs. G does not want to run a hotel on the Atlantic coast. <laughs> no, and particularly now when you look at tourism and tourism has changed now, I think. You know, I mean, to be fair, I was in Dingle uh, a couple of days ago and it was very busy. Uh, lots of tourists there, a lot of Irish tourists as well now, because with staycations and stuff like that, everybody's rediscovering the beauty that we have. But what a phenomenal place to, you can, I suppose, to even visit. You, know, you don't have to, you don't have to buy a house and do a house up. You know, you can jump over and you can do a visit once the restrictions are open that it's easy enough to be able to pop in and pop out. Because oh yeah, I'll definitely be over. Yeah, I mean, I, we I, actually I, had it planned, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, yeah. this time last year, about. Yeah. I would have been heading over. So, yeah. Well, it's still on the cards. We'll make it happen, right? But like one thing I suppose really, and it's, just, it's the last question I wanted to get to too, is that, you know, you mentioned about jumping on um, a quick Ryanair flight, but, you know, you also have another passion as well. And I was thinking, would he take that and would he drive over? So fast cars were something that were another passion of yours. And I'm intrigued actually to learn more about this because it wasn't just ordinary fast cars. You had to take the prance and horses. So tell us, What's the story with that? <laughs> well, it, it was just that when I was living in London and quite successful in business, um, you get to the point where you think, well, I, I can afford one. So um, right. I, I, I did trade my way up to it. I, I bought a Lotus Esprit because I always fancied one after watching James Bond as a yes. kid. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, mine didn't do so well underwater. But <laughs> oh, I, I brought that Esprit over to Dingle. And there's a funny story because when I went to the garage, it was uh, it was the last of the um, the Esprits. They stopped making them in '99, so right. it was one of the very last ones to come off the production line. And the brochure had pictures of them in a in a GT3. They'd taken it over and they'd shot them around the Dingle Peninsula. Wow! And on the waterfront, it was before they'd done the marina in Dingle, so you didn't wow. have that that marina area with the sort of the wharf. That yeah. wasn't there then. It was just the bay. Uh, and I thought, oh, well, that, that's that's it. it. You know, they photographed it in one of my favorite places in the world. I'd better buy one. <laughs> so so I did. And I ran it for a couple of years. And uh, the garage that I bought it from uh, in London, uh, sort of swanky sports car dealers in Knightsbridge, they knew I was keen on a Ferrari, so they contacted me one day and said, you've had that Lotus for a couple of years. Would you like to trade it in? We've got, it wasn't a brand new Ferrari. It was second hand, but, you know, it was an arm and leg anyway. Yeah. So I said, yeah, go on then. And wow. um, I didn't, I never test drove it. They actually brought it to the house and sort of dropped it off, took the Lotus away. And there I was with a Ferrari and a set of keys. <laughs> um, but I, I was quite fortunate because I lived about 20 minutes from Silverstone and I joined the Ferrari Owners Club. So I got to throw it around Silverstone quite a few times. Nice. 
Uh, And uh, when I moved to Wales, I sold it because trying to get a a Ferrari serviced in Wales is a (laughs) non-starter. They they just look at it and scratch their chins. Um, But I mean, it it was a it was an interesting car. I had it. I ran it for about six or seven years. I went all over Europe in it. We just me and Mrs G used to follow Formula One around the summer season, Monte Carlo and Monza and that sort of thing. And uh, it's, it's a, just a very quick, funny story. We went to the San Marino Grand Prix and we parked up in Imola town center. Now you go to any sort of Formula One venue and there's local farmers and people, you know, sort of local entrepreneurs set themselves up and the, the school kids had put a handwritten sign on a bit of cardboard, the school playground, and it, it said parking five euros or something. And there was a few cars in there already, so I swung in. This little kid like nearly fell over when he saw it. It was a Ferrari. Anyway, he come up and he, he said, five, five euros, please. And I said, no. I said, here's 25. And if, if you're still here guarding the car, when I come back, there's another 25 in it for you. So we went to the mm. race. We came back. And there was a, a circle of little nine-year-olds with their arms <laughs> folded, with their backs to the car, standing around it like the mafia. <laughs> I have to say, it turned out to be a fair bit more expensive because it was about 20 of them. And I, I couldn't, you know, in all conscience, give them 20 euros to split between them. So it cost me about 100 euro, I think, in the end. <laughs> but the car was safe. So, uh, Yeah, wise decision. And uh, you know what? Really, really good thinking as well. So, yeah, it's uh, interesting that you've gone through that and you took it to the F1s, as you say, but you've applied the rationale that you get as well, because farmer kids, and not even just farmer kids, but local areas will always try and make a quick buck when something big comes to town. Exactly. So, you know, when, when you saw that and went, okay, yeah, I want a fiver here. Here's 25. Mind it. We know they were going to mind it. They weren't going to make sure any damage happened that. Why is exactly. choice, David? Why is choice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So look, I'm going to take one final break and I'll be right back. I have three questions that I ask every guest and I'm looking forward to hearing your answers. So I'll be right back after this. If you're enjoying this episode of the Irish Photography Podcast, why not jump back and listen to the back catalogue we have of episodes, where you'll get some great insights from fantastic guests, gear reviews, lots of hints and tips, and above all else, keeping you company while you drive or relax. Thanks very much for listening. Please consider subscribing, leaving a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you're very welcome to the final part of the Irish Photography Podcast. So, David, like I say, I have three questions, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your answers to the staple three questions of the Irish Photography Podcast. First question, tell us a funny photography story. Uh, Well, I must admit, I thought it was funny, but I'm not sure the victim will agree with me on this one. (laughs) They're always the best ones. (laughs) Exactly. So there was a a small cohort of us, uh, some of us from the uh, photography pubcast. There was Darren Knight, there was James Burns, Mally Davies and myself. We also had another friend with us, but he's not a YouTuber. So anyway, I thought I'll take them up to the favorite mountain that I talked about previously, Erarren. Mm-hmm. And we had a Which fabulous... was an easy hike, you said, was it? Yeah? Yes, exactly. There's a, there's a steepish bit towards the summit, but the bulk of it is just a gentle gradient that goes on for about three or four miles. So we moseyed up there, and all the way up, Mally was looking at this mountain saying, oh, I don't know, boys, I don't know if I'll make it up there. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Ooh. Anyway, we had a pit stop at lunch, took some pictures. We were having a fabulous time, and the light was great. 
there was real Thank atmosphere. You. The clouds were scraping across the South Ridge of Snowdon and breaking up, and it was just epic stuff. Anyway, we decided we'd push on for the summit. We got to the steep bit, and Mally, he just caved. He, <laughs> he could not for the life of him. We got him about, oh, I don't know, 20 metres up this scramble, and he just froze. And I thought, well, you know, he's not going to enjoy himself. There's no point. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So the boys went on up to the summit. So that was James and, and Darren. Uh, and this other chap was with us, Steve, really nice guy. And um, Mally and I stayed down and I said, no, I'm not going to leave you sat here by yourself. We'll just wait. The boys can go up to the, he said, how long will they take? I said, well, I'll be 45 minutes up, however long they spend up there taking pictures and 45 minutes down. So um, we just sat there and chatted and it was lovely. It was <laughs> sort of quality time bonding with a mate. Um and because I have my uh, emergency mountain gear with me, never go out without it, uh-huh. I broke open the noodle bar and cooked up some oh, noodles heaven. and some pasta and this, that and the other. And I fed him <laughs> and, uh, and, and then the heavens opened. It was absolutely hammering down. It was stair rods. And the boys came down about half an hour later. We were all like drowned rats. And me and Mally were going, ah, you were up there. All you did was got rained on. You <laughs> slogged all the way up there. We've been sat here eating noodles and having a good time. <laughs> but what we didn't realise was that they had seen the squall blowing up the Irish Sea and they'd uh. shot photographs of it as it came barreling in up over the mountains and dumped a load uh. of rain on the ridge just opposite us. The photographs those boys got that day were out of this world. I'm still Ma- I'm still Mally's friend, but slightly less so as a result of those <laughs> photographs. And obviously, as well, you telling the story as well that he didn't make it up. At least you kept him company. You broke yeah. open the emergency stash, and you know, Mally, I'm sure you loved the noodles, and you especially loved the company, as you say. But like <laughs> the, the, the photographs, I remember seeing those images as well. Actually, I think from the guys, and they were incredible. Yeah, so yeah, interesting ones. Isn't it always good to have you know opportunities to go out and shoot with other people because You'll always have a funny story that will come out of it in some way, shape or form. And you look back at it in retrospect and you may not laugh at it at the time, but I'm sure Mally will laugh at it now about the time that he almost oh, made yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. To, to, to well, easy enough. One thing I never do when I'm out with people is make movies. I, I, oh. I'll take photographs, but I, I always feel that the time with friends is more valuable. So Correct. very rarely make movies when I'm out with people. Mm. You did when you were up with Darren Knight, though. One time, yeah. Oh, only once, yeah? Yeah. Oh, okay. That was the one when you nailed it in an instant and he went, huh, you're done. I'm just still <laughs> setting up my tripod. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We did, we did a joint piece to camera that was absolutely hilarious. We, we enjoyed ourselves making it so much, but we could never use it. <laughs> and I messaged him and said, do, do you think I could use that bit where we were talking about climate change legacy? He said, no, you can't possibly do that. everybody will hate us. I'd still love to be able to use it to this day, but I can't because it would upset him too much. Send it out to him on his birthday. He'll be happy Uh, with that birthday present then maybe. Yeah, yeah. Maybe set set him up with a a quick release tripod so he can get everything set up quicker. And actually, you know, (laughs) speaking of quick release tripod, gear, what gear do you use? So you've alluded to a moment ago the camera body you shoot with. So what do you shoot with? I shoot with the Olympus EM1 Mark II. 
I never okay. bothered with the Mark III because I didn't think it did anything more that from landscapes because that's pretty much all I do with it. So mm-hmm. uh, I didn't need the sort of sports fast action or the EM1X version. It wasn't okay. interesting at all. Um, it was last. It was a it was a tough decision moving from Nikon to Micro right. Four Thirds, yeah, and that that got me a lot of traction on the channel. A lot of people th- came along to see what I could make of this camera system. Um, I bought some Pro Glass with it as as a kit, but it came with the Pro Glass. But it is Pro. It was a f four twelve to one hundred, okay, uh, and nice. it's it's a superb piece of glass. I mean that you know that's one thing. Say what you like about Olympus. You know, they've gone down the toilet since and uh, the camera bodies were okay, but they're not really, you know, they're not a Fuji by any stretch of the imagination, which was my other contender, uh, sort of APS-C Fuji. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the glass is, is second to none. Um, so, and I, I've, I've bought a few since then. I use that 12 to 100 most of the time, but I've got an ultra wide angle and I've got a really long telephoto as well. The I, ultra, the, ultra wide, you already have 12. So what's ultra wide? Yeah, but wide? don't forget, that's that's equivalent of 24 on, ah, a, okay, I got you. on a full a frame. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. So I've got this little cheap Chinese knockoff thing called a Lauer, which is an F2 at 7.5 millimeters. So it's equivalent wow. of 15. It's completely yeah. manual, but it's a lovely lens. It, it The reason I bought it is because it's rectilinear. I don't like fisheye, and most of the lenses at that end on micro four thirds are getting a bit fisheye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they mm-hmm. do a Olympus do a, a seven to 14, but it, it costs about a thousand pounds and I wouldn't use it often enough to warrant that. And so, I suppose that was the, was the motivation to change to Olympus weight saving. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was every bit to do with being up in the mountains in the right place at the right time to get a photograph. And as long as the kit was, good enough then it was more important to be there because mm. i could have the best kit in the world but if i wasn't up there in position with it to hand it's no use mm. to me mm. and you know glass is very very heavy every single thing i look at you know when you go looking people with really really nice cameras and then they go okay but i gotta get my glass and then the glass they don't realize number one that it's adding extra weight it's also very very expensive but if you're going to be going up a mountain you want to make it as easy as possible, I imagine, of course, to get up, but also to get back down. And as you yeah. say, to have the camera there is the most important part. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and what and what, what tripod legs do you use? Uh, I've just got a cheap Chinese knockoff from Amazon at the moment. Okay, because uh, it doesn't just, need to take much weight because there's not no, much weight. No, this is the, the thing. That there's no pressure at all on the tripod. I was mm. sent a, a K&F Concept one to review which right. was okay, but it, it it's fallen to bits since. So apologies to anybody who bought one off the back of my recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know I'm what? such a tart. You, you just send me any piece of rubbish <laughs> and I'll review it. <laughs> well, you've got an opportunity now to sell something to us. So we've got a section here, which is called a VSP. It stands for Very Solid Product. It's a product you won't leave home without. If you could put your name to it, you would. So what is your VSP? My VSP is the Peak Design Capture Clip, uh-huh. version three. Uh, That's the, the one that goes on the bag. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually okay. got several of them because I've got them dotted around on other bits of equipment. Uh, and uh, so what, I just keep the clip on, uh, the plate on the camera 
and because mm-hmm. it, it's Arc is Swiss compatible, so it's still going on a tripod. I, I I can't use the net. Well, I could use an L bracket on my camera, but I wouldn't anyway. I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't buy the necessity of L brackets because I'm only shooting micro four thirds. I can drop the camera over on its side on the tripod mm-hmm. if I need to. Uh, but the, the capture clip, what it does is it keeps the camera to hand. I, I don't understand somebody in the mountains with a camera in a backpack because you'll get a flash of light on a peak that mm. might be there for five seconds, might be there for 30 seconds, but usually it's moving through pretty quickly. And you just don't even bother attempting getting the camera out of a backpack. You just know you're not going to get it out in time. Mm. So people mm. don't bother. And And I've got a portfolio full of, images that I couldn't possibly have got without the camera being to hand. That's interesting, you know, because like you say it, um, mountain light is very much so dynamic light. It changes very, very quickly. And because you get the peaks and the light can come through the peaks and you get the cloud formations, you get the atmosphere and everything else. I mean, I can exactly picture what you're saying there. You know, if you're going up the side of something and you see light in the distance, you don't want to have to go, oh, she's going to get the bag off take out the thing, blah, 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 get it ready. Whereas it's just bang, done, and it's back on the bag again. I've looked at those actually. I was thinking about getting one, but then I said, no, I won't get one because I probably won't have the opportunity to need to use it. But then at the same point, as you say, you've got multitudes of them. So once you start using it once, you probably will see the, I probably would see the opportunity to use it more and more. But I, unlike you, do see the benefit of having a L bracket. Um, and that's the reason why I didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, three-legged thing do an L bracket with a capture clip adaptation on it. Do they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're yeah. adding a fair bit of weight to the overall rig, but yeah. they do it, and I understand it's pretty good. Um, I mean, I, I was a bit like you in terms of well, I don't know. It's quite an expensive little square of steel or aluminium, whatever mm-hmm. the hell it is. I don't know what it's mm-hmm. made of. Um, but I've got a friend who came out for a hike with me. And he said, oh, you should get one of those capture clips because you're always having to wrestle your camera out of the bag. And he swore by it and he was shooting a Canon full frame body. So it was colossal. Mm-hmm. And he was quite, I said, do you, do you worry about it? He said, no, solid as a rock. I mean, let's be fair. If if cameras started dropping off them, Peak Design would be out of business in seconds because word course. would soon get out. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. No, it's a, it's a very, very good VSP. I think, you know, it is something that I know a lot of people that have. And I see it again, you and your videos, you know, you have it. It's there, you're walking along and then bang, you can grab those images. And it's funny when I look at the video again, you know, you'll be walking along and you'll say, yeah, I didn't have time to film something here, but I captured around five or six shots of fleeting light. Whereas for me, <clears throat> I love the camera bag. I got to put the camera bag down. I got to faff around, got to take it out. Whereas there, it's simple. So yeah, no, I, I agree. It's a good, good VSP and good that you've got many of them as well so that you can have it in whatever garment you're wearing or bag you're wearing or whatever on that trip. So yeah. um, we're almost there, David. Can believe it? I can't believe actually we've gotten through all these questions so quickly, but it actually isn't. It's just, it's gone so quick because you know they say time flies when you're having fun. I've only got two more final questions for you and they're two standard questions really. So what's next for you? And where can people find more information on you? I suppose the, the short answer to what's next is more of the same. <laughs> okay. One I, a month uh, anyway, for sure. Yeah. I, I I did have quite a few trips planned before COVID happened. Um, I'd been to Toronto with some friends. Simon, well, yeah. With, with Simon. Uh, but he introduced me to some other people over there who, who are now friends. And I I wanted to go back 
and do a bit more in that neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. um, also, we were going to go up to Banff and shoot the Canadian Rockies. Nice. Um, so that was on the cards and then it wasn't. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a trip to California penciled in for about last September. With the, that's the chap that recommended the the capture clip to me. Mm -hmm. He lives okay. just north of California in in bushfire country, mm -hmm. um, and we were going to do a sort of road trip up through the eastern Sierras. I, I've been there several times, but really not as a photographer. I've been there fishing for trout in the mountain streams. Okay, uh, so I'm going to go back with a camera. So there was that. There was the trip to see you. Yeah, we, that we had planned. Uh, and also, believe it or not, I had a speaking engagement booked um, north of the Arctic Circle in Norway. Wow. And that got shelved. So I'm hoping to resurrect that. So actually quite a bit of, of travel. Um, mm -hmm. And also there's a region of southern Italy I want to take the cameras to. I really enjoyed your Dolomite series, but I want to go down to Calabria where the mountains oh. meet the sea. I yes. like that sort of thing. Yeah, Italy is beautiful, and I'd, I'd go back there again. Um, I want to go to Tuscany, actually. That's one area I want to go to. Um, but I, 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 it's funny you say, you know, with the Dolomites trip, I loved it. It was incredible, but it was too much snow. I'd go back there again <laughs> in the autumn time when you actually have a foreground interest as opposed to just snow and a peak. Um, but, yeah, it was a good trip. And uh, hopefully you'll get over to the, uh, the Emerald Isle pretty soon, and we'll reconnect you down to... Beautiful dingle. Yeah, well, that's probably the first one on the agenda, to be honest, because that's the one that's most feasible at the moment. Yeah, and uh, we got to drag Darren Knight over as well because he wants to come visit too. So, ah, good. and Mally, she said it might be you know a, a podcast on tour. We, I know I did mes message Gary years ago and saying we should do the Irish photog Irish photography podcast, but we'll have to do something if you're over. We'll have to celebrate it. And um, final one, I suppose, really is where can people find you? Where are you online these days? Uh, well, I've got my main website at dgriff.gallery, which is okay. easy yeah. to remember. Yes. Um, and then, of course, there's my YouTube, same name. Uh, and I am actually on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, but I, I just I don't interact a great deal. I, I look mm -hmm. at stuff. I, so, yeah, your best bet if you want to see what I'm up to is, is have a look at YouTube because that will give you the best flavor of what i do and if you're interested in the mountains that's where i share the most information well i'll put all the links to all of your relative social channels below and i really Cheers. recommend that people go watch your youtube channel and just you know immerse themselves in the beauty of the areas that they have and obviously in you as well in your presentation of the areas as well so yeah david it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the irish photography podcast Thank you very, very much for coming on. I hope you've enjoyed you know, having the chat with me. And sure, I will uh, no doubt see you face to face, I hope anyway, within the next 12 months. Let's make it that way, will we? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's been a pleasure. No, it's been great. So for me in Ireland, to you in the beautiful Anglesey, Slonga Fall. Diolch Ah, brilliant. <laughs> hey, guys. If you dig what you're hearing, why don't you jump over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, and don't forget to share with your friends. With all that done, we'll see you next week, and remember, keep shooting.